Hi, I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and for the past month, we have produced a daily podcast exploring the latest on the coronavirus pandemic in Oklahoma. But starting today, we're going to change our format. Our COVID-19 in Oklahoma podcast will transition to a weekly episode published each Monday. On Friday, we will return to our weekly Listen Frontier podcast, which may still include some coronavirus-related reporting, but we'll also explore other topics we're focused on here at the Frontier. Moving away from a daily podcast is not a statement that we believe the crisis is any less severe. In fact, we believe this is a critical time for in-depth COVID-19-focused journalism, and you will continue to see complete coverage at readfrontier.org. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode. Great skilled nursing and therapy in Norman, now with the most cases of COVID-19 among nursing homes in the state. They tested the employees, uh, they tested the residents. Listen to this, more than 40 residents and a dozen staff members at a Grove nursing home have now tested positive for COVID-19. Now local and state representatives working together to make sure the nursing home has everything they need. Nursing homes have become coronavirus hotspots across the country. And the same is true in Oklahoma. As state officials say, we are starting to see a flattening of the curve on COVID-19 infection rates. Nursing homes and other senior care centers are scrambling to contain the spread of the disease and worry they won't be able to financially stay afloat. About one in three COVID-related deaths in Oklahoma have been connected to a long-term care facility, according to the state health department. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma a weekly podcast taking a closer look at the coronavirus pandemic in our state. On this week's episode, I speak with the Frontier's Cassie McClung about the crisis in nursing homes and what officials are doing to prepare for more cases. We also explore the question of whether or not the curve is starting to flatten here in Oklahoma. Today is Monday, April 20th. Hi, Cassie. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good. It's uh, we're recording this on Sunday evening for Monday's episode, so the end of a end of a weekend and uh, and back to the work week. Yep, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, it has been a couple of days since we were doing this podcast that we've now kind of transitioned from a daily to a weekly, and we can we may still you know drop some episodes in between as as, as big COVID nineteen related stories emerge. But give us kind of an update on, on what we've seen over the last couple of days. What's been the status of the coronavirus in Oklahoma over the weekend? Sure. So I'll kind of start back at Friday and just give a little recap of what we saw. Um, so since Friday's numbers were reported, we've seen about 250 new COVID-19 cases. I think about four people were reported to have died in that period. And as far as total cumulative hospitalizations go, I think there was a little less than 30 of those. So it's been, I don't want to say a quiet weekend because as far as positive confirmed new cases go, we, you know, we've seen about the same increases we have since um, the entire month of April, I think. 
But quiet maybe more than we expected. I think about a week ago when the governor said that he felt like the peak was coming at the end of the month. And mm-hmm. and you and I had spoke on a podcast about how many deaths on average we may see each day in order to reach that expected peak. And just by looking at the numbers over the last week and the number of deaths we've seen each day, they haven't been nearly as, as big as we thought we might see. And granted, there's still some time between now and when that peak is supposed to arrive so things could change but so far i mean you say that you don't want to say the numbers are good and of course they're not when anyone mm-hmm. dies or gets sick but they are better than maybe we felt like they would be a week ago right right so when we last talked about modeling i think we were looking at the ihme modeling which has really changed since last time we spoke and i know there's been a lot of critics of this model but uh, i think the model it said that Oklahoma might see 560-ish deaths, and then that number lowered to somewhere in the 300s over mm. the past few days. So, you know, even in that case, we really haven't been seeing the numbers of deaths we thought we might. Um, today, you know, reporting sometimes a little bit slower over the weekends, but there was only one reported new death today. And one death is never too good, but when we thought the peak was originally we were going to be seeing 18 to 20 deaths per day, yeah. one death, you know, and then Saturday we saw three, uh, Friday we saw five. So we're definitely not seeing the numbers that we thought might pan out. Yeah. And the number of, of active hospital stays like right now, that number over the last several days has kind of plateaued, right? Right. So hospitalizations are a little bit hard for at least me to make a comparison with. Um, I think the state might have better data than I do. So the state, when measuring hospitalizations, they have been counting those patients who had confirmed COVID cases, as well as those patients suspected of having the disease. And I've been tracking it that way, but it was, I think, Friday or Saturday, the health department came out with a daily report that said previous data shouldn't be compared to um, the newer data because they were changing the way they were reporting it or tracking it. But um, I can say that on Saturday, when this report was released, there were 307 people hospitalized and 554 cumulative hospitalizations. And on Friday, for a little bit more context, the governor said that there were, as of that time, there were 325 people hospitalized across the state. And the largest number Uh, the state saw hospitalized was 560 back on March 30th. So that is um, quite a significant decrease, I think. So explain to me the, the total cumulative hospitalizations. I mean, because that, that number comes out and that's counting overall. But when we look at like actual admittance, Mm -hmm. like on a certain day, it's lower. What, What are the differences on that? Right. So total cumulative numbers means that is how many people have been hospitalized with COVID-19 or suspected of of having COVID-19 since the state started tracking these numbers. So say back to this example from the governor on Friday, um, he said there were currently 325 people hospitalized, but say there were 554 total cumulative. Um, That means those 325 people were hospitalized at that moment and 554 people had been hospitalized total. So I guess about 
200 of those people were no longer hospitalized. Okay. If that makes sense. So when we see that, uh, that active number in the 300s decrease from one day to the next, that represents the number of people who were in the hospital the previous day and have been discharged. I think so. That's the number the state has been using to track it. Um, the executive reports that the health department puts on line daily, except for the weekends has those numbers on it. And it looks like sometimes the number of hospitals reporting those numbers fluctuates a little bit, um, but not too much. Have, have you got any kind of sense on the length of stay in a hospital? I, I don't know that I've seen that specific data, but mm-hmm. you're someone who looks at it very closely. And when you see those numbers, you know, we've been in the 300s for a while and, and does, it's, it feels like maybe the length of stay is we're not talking about just a couple of days. We may be talking about a couple of weeks. Right. That's a good question. I don't know what the length of stay is, but... Um, you know, I just know anecdotally from seeing stories across the country and data across the country that it definitely, you know, some people are in the hospital when they have really severe cases of COVID-19 for weeks. So, I mean, and we kind of, we can kind of pull a little bit of insight from the data we do have. So if there were 550 total cumulative hospitalizations over the last maybe month and a half and 307 people are still currently hospitalized, that kind of gives you an idea that people might be hospitalized for a while. Yeah. And as we talked about before, obviously those with underlying health conditions are more vulnerable. And if, if they are going in because of the virus, but it's also, you know, causing some complications, whatever, with whatever health issue they may mm-hmm. already have. I mean, that they could still be recovering from that or receiving treatment from that. Right. Exactly. Um, COVID-19 we're seeing more as we start learning more about this virus. We're seeing that it can cause cardiac issues. It can cause issues with people's kidneys and obviously it's a respiratory disease. So it's damaging people's lungs. So it does irritate, I think, some of those underlying conditions as well. Yeah. You mentioned that the governor had spoke on Friday and he did. I was there. It was an outside press conference. I'm not sure whose idea that was, but it was in front of Integra's <laughs> Hospital on a very chilly day. Looked um, windy. Yes, and it was it was windy. Um, and as you know, they never start on time. So I was actually mm-hmm. sitting in my car waiting until the last second. But um, the governor offered a, a couple pieces of new information, um, including that he's continuing to look at reopening the state. And we'll get to that in a moment. But he also continued to say that the state had enough resources when it came to personal protective equipment for healthcare workers, when it came to ICU beds and ventilators. I mean, he's continuing to express a positive note about our ability to handle the current crisis mm-hmm. and anything that might come if it continues to increase. Right. He said, you know, it was the governor and I think a couple of members from his task force. But they were saying, um, and they were doing this press conference at Integra's hospital, um, that the state is still preparing for potential surge. But I think I remember the governor saying they don't anticipate seeing that in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, so, and you know, we can see that all online, too. They're tracking that on the Department of Health's website, that the governor does seem very optimistic and confident that the state has enough personal protective equipment, ventilators, and whatnot. And you can actually see how many the state has available right now. And going by the reports, it looks like, at least for now, um, the state does have a surplus. I don't know if it's surplus is a good word, but it has, it has they have quite a bit of supplies available. Yeah. 
you talk about what we're able to, you know, the, the state is tracking that and, and making that publicly available as, as along with some other pieces of data, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks feels like a long time and it is. And, you know, two weeks ago we were kind of scrambling to get our hands on some basic data when it came to testing. And, and now fast forward two weeks later and the health department has really kind of stepped it up in terms of the, the amount of information that they're producing, including uh, maps that show cases by, by zip code um, and cities. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of been uh impressive to see. Yeah, it's been nice. And it, and if you've been following, you know, other reporters across the country who are reporting on COVID-19, some states, and we had this problem at first in Oklahoma, but not, you know, saying which long-term care facilities had COVID cases or COVID-related deaths. Um, you know, some states weren't even reporting how many cases they were seeing a day. So we, we have seen some a good level, I think, of transparency increasingly with the data in Oklahoma. You know, we can see things by city. We can see it broken down by race and ethnicity now. There's there's a lot of ways that you can kind of break down the data and look at it. Yeah. You mentioned long care facilities, and I want to ask you about that in a moment because you did mm-hmm. some reporting a few days on this topic. But let me kind of finish our conversation about the numbers and trends. So does it appear that the curve is flattening? Because that is what the governor has said, that I don't think he's declared mission accomplished or said definitive, definitively that, yes, this is absolutely the, the peak of the curve and we're going to go start going back down. But he has said that it appears that the, the curve is flattening. Is that is that kind of how you assess it? Um, yeah. So, you know, I know the state ha- probably has, you know, teams of data scientists and epidemiologists, but this is just me looking at the data. So. We talked about in the beginning, excuse me, of the episode, there being 2,599 confirmed cases. And I can add a little bit of context to that. So that's up 31% from how many confirmed cases there were last Sunday, which would have been April 12th, when there was 1,970 cases. The highest jump in new cases the state has seen so far was in early April, and I think that was about 170 new cases in one day. But that number, at least for the new confirmed cases, hasn't significantly lowered in the last two weeks. And the reason I say two weeks is because a lot of epidemiologists and other infectious disease experts have kind of been looking at that time frame for seeing meaningful trends. So we saw 108 new cases Friday, 105 on Saturday. But, you know, that is lower than that 170 we saw at the highest. So you could make the argument it's trending downward. Um, And I guess as far as deaths go, I'll go over those real quick. But there were 140 reported deaths, and that's almost 46% up from a week ago when there was 96. But we now know um, the health department recently started noting this in their reports that just because a death was reported in the last 24 hours doesn't mean it occurred in that time frame. So it could have happened a few days or a few weeks ago. Um, so, but I mean, looking at the confirmed cases have kind of dropped a little bit, not a ton in the past two weeks, but the hospitalizations, it appears they they are kind of, I guess, plateauing. Yeah, and that's usually what the governor has pointed to when he says he thinks that the curve is starting to flatten. Mm -hmm. Well, the majority of cases we've seen have been those that are 65 or older. And as you reported a few days ago, a third of all cases are coming from nursing homes and senior care facilities. 
and in your story, you said that nursing home officials are are kind of worried not about not just about the immediate crisis, but about what's to come. Kind of walk us through what uh, what you wrote about uh, a few days ago. Sure. So I'll start out with saying before I kind of get into their financial woes that they, you know, all the owners I talked to were did stress, you know, that part of that devastation of the situation is, of course, coming from their residents who have died, um, staff members getting sick. So like I said earlier, um, I'm going off Friday's numbers because those are the most recently available I have, at least as far as long term care facilities go. So there were 136 reported deaths on Friday, and 45 of those were connected to long-term care facilities. So like you said, one in three people who have died have been connected to facilities like nursing homes and other senior care centers. Um, And then, you know, those same facilities are seeing a lot of the positive cases we have in the state. So I think it's almost 500 or more Um, people like residents, staff members across about 40 facilities in the state have tested positive for COVID-19. And we've been seeing it across the U.S. This isn't just in Oklahoma, it's nationwide. And the New York Times, I think it was this weekend, came out with a story about nursing homes. And reporters found about one-fifth of deaths across the whole country are tied to nursing homes and other similar facilities. So going back to my story, um, some of these facilities have been have seen pretty substantial outbreaks. And, you know, some of the operators of this these homes, I said, have, you know, they've said it's been devastating. There's elderly people in their rooms all day. They're seeing the same four walls from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. So it's on one end, it's it's very hard to keep morale up for their residents. And Um, One of the operators told me that depression is the number one diagnosis in their residents anyways. This has really added on a significant challenge to that. Um, Visitation has been canceled. Communal dining has been canceled. Activities. So a lot of these facilities are essentially on lockdown. And aside from that, going back to kind of the finances, the nursing home industry, you can see this nationwide again. It's already underfunded and sometimes understaffed. But this is more, I think it's more seen in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma is on the low end for Medicaid payment rights to facility owners. And I think the state always has been. And even though the state saw an increase in rates earlier this year, an operator told me it's still not enough to break even on the cost. Hmm. So you have that added with, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic. So several owners told me they're facing pretty significant markups on personal protective equipment, which we know, um, you know, it's been a struggle to find that for hospitals, for restaurant workers, grocery workers, just, you know, first responders in general, I guess. And to kind of give you an example of some of those markups, we're seeing like a thousand percent markups on some of these items. Right. So one operator said she was paying $10 a piece for gowns that usually cost her 99 cents. And another owner said he was paying $12 for masks that usually cost $1. And I'll kind of wrap up the financial aspect of this problem with saying um, I interviewed, I think it was on Thursday, um, Stephen Buck, and he's the president and CEO of Care Providers Oklahoma. 
And he said the industry is, well, I guess has requested financial relief from the state, which about, I think, a dozen other states have already done something similar, stepped up to kind of offer some kind of financial relief to this industry. He said the response has been promising so far from cabinet members uh, from Stitt's office, but he hadn't heard anything official yet as of Thursday. So that's something I'm going to be watching to see if these facilities might see any help financially, I guess. Yeah. And interesting timing for um, Stephen Buck to take that position because he mm -hmm. was most recently the director of uh, Oklahoma Juvenile Affairs uh, OJA and was also on the governor's cabinet right. as a secretary. So he definitely has uh, connections and relationships with his cabinet and, and the governor himself. So, uh, you know, if you're in that industry, the, uh, you know, it, it might be good timing to have a, a familiar ear to the governor mm -hmm. in, in that position. So, yeah, I just think I wonder uh, one big question that you, you know, that you wrote about is, is are nursing homes going to be able to survive this pandemic? Right, exactly. And I think that's going to depend a lot on what kind of financial aid they receive from the state. Um, I mean, like I said previously, a lot of these nursing homes are having trouble breaking even on their bills now. So, you know, and as staff get sick, you know, they might test positive, they might have to go quarantine for 14 days. Though the house, the facilities I talked with have been able to bring new staffing in, that's another challenge because especially in these small towns, it's not always easy to find someone who can step in to fill that role. So I think it's, you know, it's just going to keep depending on how this virus evolves. Um, I know Governor Stitt, back to that press conference we were talking about um, on Friday, he said that he authorized the National Guard to go give a, uh, he said it they were going to do some deep cleanings at some of the facilities yeah. and also start testing at facilities that have yet to even see a confirmed case, which I know a lot of people in the industry said they wanted to happen. So I think, you know, it's hard to say what the outcome is going to be, but there's a chance that some of these facilities won't be able to recover from it. Yeah. And I remember us talking on the, on the very early days of this, you know, you and I questioning how, how aspects of Oklahoma was going to be able to survive this, knowing that in a lot of metrics, uh, related to healthcare, we don't do well. So mm -hmm. it, it, are there going to be some vulnerable populations, some some vulnerable organizations that this is really going to knock them off their feet? And it, it does seem like even though it's impacting nursing homes across the country, Oklahoma may be especially vulnerable to this to this type of, of crisis. And we saw er the earliest cases in, in the United States were in nursing homes in, in Seattle, and, and we're seeing that here too. And I also, and not to be you know, you know, morbid about it, but you obviously mm -hmm. you make money based on your residence. If you're mm -hmm. in nursing care facilities, if you're seeing um, a number of deaths, which are probably not uncommon in a nursing home, but mm -hmm. you know, at, at this large number, I mean, you see empty beds and you wonder how, how eager are Oklahomans going to want to be to take those beds. If there is a fear that nursing home facilities are, are ripe for this virus, even if we go back to some sense of normalcy, I feel like, you know, this is still going to be lingering around in some areas. And so uh, we're mm -hmm. going to talk about reopening businesses here in a moment. But even if we do, I, I would I would think that there's still going to be some pretty strict stipulations on uh, on nursing home and senior senior care facilities. Right. Definitely. And one of the operators I talked to who was just telling me how hard it is at one of her facilities that have been hit by an outbreak of COVID-19 it just, she said, you go in and it looks like you're in the movie Contagion. Hmm. 
essentially, you know, like everything's covered up, all everyone's walking around in full personal protective equipment. And, you know, it just kind of it's it's very bleak in these areas. And she told me, you know, if she said, if you could come in here and see what we're going through, you wouldn't think it was time to open up back businesses. Yeah. You, you know, you'd say no way. So I think, you know, definitely going forward and the governor kind of touched on this on Friday that it, it doesn't look like nursing homes. Probably those guidelines are going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Well, you're right. The governor did mention uh, an effort to possibly reopen some businesses in the weeks to come. We saw a, a demonstration here in Oklahoma City last week of I don't know, it might have been 100 people, I'm not sure, maybe less, maybe more, that had gathered in the, mar- the parking lot of, of a mall and then did kind of a, a vehicle parade around the Capitol to demand that businesses reopen. And we were kind of seeing mm-hmm. these same demonstrations across the country. And, you know, the things that I took away from what the governor said Friday, and he didn't give necessarily a specific date, except maybe eyeing that, that May 3rd, which I think is a Sunday, May 4th, which is a Monday time frame, and he said, you know, if we if we do reopen businesses, it's not going to be everywhere. It's going to be kind of a staged approach. But two areas mm-hmm. that he talked about were restaurants saying that they might put in requirements that tables have to be, you know, 12 feet apart or something like that. And then he also mentioned, mentioned churches. So mm-hmm. just kind of putting two and two together, that first phase seems like it, it may include restaurants and it may include churches. Right. Um, so like you said, the governor said some restaurants may open in early May if the state continues to see the trends, I guess, that have been occurring in COVID-19 continue that we could hear some guidance as early as this week yeah. start coming to roll out. And, you know, sits order to keep non-essential business, businesses closed expires on April 30th. So uh, that's, you know, it's coming up. Yeah. So I, I am interested in seeing how churches are able to implement social distancing guidelines or kind of how they come up with good ways to do that. Because, you know, in restaurants, I think we talked about this on another podcast, but you can kind of, I guess, space tables out. Um, I guess they could space people out in pews. I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious to see how people work around that. Yeah. And you're right. There probably will be some kind of guidance from the CDC and, mm-hmm. and the administration you know, Governor Stitt had mentioned that he had had some conference calls with church leaders and pastors throughout the week. And, you know, I was speaking with someone who was familiar with that phone call and said that, you know, the idea was that maybe we phase it, you know, we go from 10 to 50 in terms okay. of how many people can gather and maybe you mm-hmm. go up from there. Um, so I don't know, maybe these mega churches will be the last to, last to finally meet. I mean, there's definitely, a, I mean, we're all restless, right? I mean, we, you know, we're all mm-hmm. feeling it and there's definitely some that are that are expressing that restlessness in some other ways. And uh, before the end of this podcast, I'm going to play some clips from Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt, who spoke on Friday and actually addressed the protest and said, you know, he felt that it was, you know, actually kind of very disrespectful to the first responders and healthcare officials that are working really hard to, you know, uh, uh, respond to this, respond to this uh, virus. But the governor has talked now in, in two press conferences in a row a lot about wanting to, to reopen businesses. So it definitely seems like that's going to be going to be a focus for him, you know, here in the coming weeks. Right. And along with him saying that he wanted to start issuing guidance to reopen businesses, he stressed that a big part of, I guess, trying to get back to that normal uh, that we had before, you know, COVID started breaking out in the state is more testing, more widespread testing, and more efforts to trace contacts with mm. confirmed cases. 
and wider testing for antibodies to try to determine, you know, how widespread the disease has been in Oklahoma. So I think there's still a lot of data the state's missing. And I know this is not just Oklahoma. It's across the country. You know, leaders across the country are facing this problem of how to open things back up, like, and remain, you know, have a good answer, I guess, for the health side of things, but also the economic side of things as well. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, states and mayors are going to be trying, having to walk that fine line and find that balance. Yeah. Well, in the same way that maybe when President Trump says he wants to reopen, mm-hmm. it's maybe not really his decision because he's not the one that closed states down. Those are those are local officials. We, we see kind of a simil- similar uh, situation here to where. It, you know, it was really the mayors of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Norman, and some of the other bigger cities that were the first to pull the trigger on closing non-essential businesses and closing parks and, and putting some, you know, some cities to put curfews and putting the bans on, on gatherings of 10 or more. Now, the governor has taken the further step of, of extending that ban in some ways across mm-hmm. the state. But if Governor Stitt announces that he wants things to reopen on May 4th, it would seem to me that he's going to have to get some some buy-in from 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 mayors especially mayor bynum and mayor holt right and i guess as we've seen with mayor holt and mayor bynum that they've been a little bit more you know they were sooner to close down businesses in their cities and i think they use stronger language while doing that so i think you know even if the governor does start wanting to open things up i could see tulsa and oklahoma city maybe rolling out guidance a little bit later or taking those actions to open up businesses a little bit later than uh, Stitt might allow. Yeah. And, and it, you know, we'll, we'll wait to see what happens in a couple of mm-hmm. weeks, but there could be some friction, I suppose, between municipalities and the state. There's already been that kind of friction over the last several years. I mean, this is a state where the legislature has um, taken many, you know, has passed many bills to limit what cities can do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, local control is a big thing, but not necessarily when it comes to those who are running cities. Um, I saw someone tweeted this out and I, there was a joke, but I almost wonder if there's some truth to it that, you know, wait next year or the year after, I bet the legislature is going to pass a law that says cities can't close down their businesses. Right. Um, I that, can see that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's definitely believable, especially if there starts to be some friction with, mm-hmm. um, you know, state lawmakers saying it's time to open up and, and mayors of Tulsa and Oklahoma City saying, um, you know, not so fast. Right. And we're already seeing that friction on, I guess, a lower level with some residents wanting, you know, thinking that things need to be back open. So I could, I could see maybe lawmakers kind of following that and issuing, trying to, you know, I guess, introduce their own laws, because we have seen similar things to that in the past. Yeah. Well, a lot to look for this week. Once again, we're moving away from the from the daily podcast to a weekly and so a week can sometimes seem like a month. So um, who knows what we'll be talking about next Monday. But uh, Cassie, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. On Friday, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt held a press conference to update the community on the pandemic's impact. Here are a few excerpts from Holt's address, including his response to a protest held in Oklahoma City, urging government officials to reopen businesses. Today represents a month since the first major efforts began in Oklahoma City to halt the spread of this deadly virus. Last week, I provided a bit of a scoreboard on how we were doing. 
my overall characterization from last week still stands. By comparison to a normal virus, this is not going well. By comparison to what COVID-19 is capable of, it is going okay. And you, the people of Oklahoma City, deserve the credit for that. To expand on those thoughts, even with social distancing measures in place, unlike anything we have seen since 1918, COVID-19 has moved swiftly through our city and exacted a heavy toll. COVID-19 is capable of killing people in numbers we have not seen since the Spanish flu, and it is capable of doing it in cities with incredible density like New York and in cities with medium density like Detroit and New Orleans. And just like the Spanish flu killed 7,000 Oklahomans a century ago, this virus is capable of killing people right here in Oklahoma City. But your hard work at social distancing and sheltering in place has kept its worst outcomes at bay. This is something for which we should be proud, and I am certainly proud of you. And it is also worth noting we have thus far flattened the curve so that our healthcare system can handle it. With this as our track record so far, we are beginning to look to the future cautiously and thoughtfully. The most sobering reality we are all confronting is this. COVID-19 has no vaccine and no proven treatment. We may live in its shadow for many, many months. So how do we move forward? There are multiple layers to this. One is the national response, one is the individual response, and one is the state and local response. It is always worth noting we do not operate in a vacuum here in OKC. We depend on national resources and we depend on national guidance. We are not likely to dramatically deviate from nationally recognized tactics. Nationally, everyone is talking about the next phase and so are we. Many speak of it as a dimmer, not a light switch. A return to some normalcy must be gradual and thoughtful and respectful of the fact that this virus isn't going anywhere. Mayor, what would you say to some of the protesters who are out at the Capitol early this week? They're getting restless. They're saying it's time to go back to work. How would you respond to them? I, do, I know very little about that. I saw some images, though. I saw a group that got out of their cars and, and bunched up really closely to show how, how, how much they didn't fear this deadly virus. And I guess what I would say to that um, is, you know, when I see images like that, I think of the healthcare professionals on the front lines who are going out every day, in some cases leaving their families for weeks at a time and putting their lives on the line and putting themselves in danger um, to take care of strangers. And those people are going to get sick, especially if that behavior reflects their daily activity. Um, and I know that those brave and courageous public health professionals who are actually brave and are actually courageous are going to take care of those people just the same. And uh, I, hope that's, I hope that weighs heavy on their heart when they do that kind of thing. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Audio used in this podcast came from KOCO, KOTV, and The Oklahoman. My conversation with Cassie was recorded over Skype with me in Oklahoma City and her from her home in Tulsa. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you next week.